0: You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs>
0: Joining me today on the podcast is an actor, writer, and producer who loves creating characters and situations based on his own life. In short, Alex Pyres is a storyteller. But he wasn't originally headed toward the actor life, and so Changing Course came with some hard lessons.
1: Mind you, I was scammed by businesses that were like, oh, you pay us this money up front and we'll manage you and submit you for stuff. I mean, you don't know any better. And sometimes you have to make those dumb mistakes in order to kind of learn your way.
0: Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, featuring conversations with fellow artists about the realities of life in the arts, all while challenging the notion of what it means to make it. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and for more information on the podcast and to sign up for the monthly Win Me newsletter, go to com. The process of getting an idea, a story, from conception to production to finally being on stage or on screen, can be a rather lengthy process. Hamilton, for example, was a small idea at first for Lin-Manuel Miranda— a mixtape of two songs that took seven years to finally blossom into the hit Broadway musical we know today. The movie La La Land was first thought of by Damien Chazelle when he was going to Harvard. He graduated in 2007, but it wasn't until 2015 that the film was finally in production and then released the following year. And of course, Miranda and Chazelle needed many collaborators and producers and fellow creatives to turn those ideas into shows. Alex Pyers is another one of those with plenty of ideas. He's an actor who came to New York with a mission to not only act, but to write as well. But as we know, having the idea is just the first step on a long journey towards actually seeing it come to life. And sometimes the most random encounters can start you down that path.
1: Yeah, I'd say like late 2015, early 2016, um, I had bumped into somebody that I did in another web series with, his web series, and uh, on the street in New York, you know, just like in, in Union Square or something, and it was just kind of very serendipitous. So uh, we started kind of writing some sketches, and they didn't really go anywhere, and, and I kept finding different creative partners, and the idea kind of kept changing. And, and eventually it eventually landed to be this.
0: So, and you went through several other collaborators. What were kind of the ins and outs of going from one collaborator to another until you found one that uh, that you wanted to stick with?
1: It was it was a thing where honestly, that dude just kind of ghosted me. You know, in and we were we were buds and colleagues and stuff. So I was a little surprised that he would uh, just kind of interest in it, especially when I thought we had some legs, and then. Um, the next two partners, um, one of one of them was just straight up crazy, and <laughs> and and ended up moving back to New England because you know New York City was just too much for her, and which I respect, but she definitely had some some things to work out. So uh, she bailed, and then after that, that the next partner just didn't want to be an actor anymore, I guess. So she sort of uh, bailed out on that as well. So I was just like, man, either I'm just having the worst luck in the world or I am just terrible to work with or something. I don't know what's going on, but I can't get somebody to just commit and try to make something happen. Um, But I I just have found in other situations and talking with other creatives that that is very much a thing. You know, it's everybody, Kevin Hart has said this in like a state, like everybody wants to be famous. Nobody wants to do the work. Yeah, that's true. So it's not about fame for me, but it's like, you know, everyone's always talking about, man, I just want to like do something. And like, can we just like create our own stuff? And like, whether it's theater or like a web series or whatever. And I'm like, cool, got this web series idea. got some, you know, some loose like scripts, like let's make it happen. And they're like, Oh, I can't make it. I don't know. I got a, I got a dog to walk, I think. And uh, I got some TV to watch. Maybe we'll just uh, do this later. And I'm like, okay, well come on, people. So I eventually found Stephanie, who is my co-star in, in what came to be Peace in a Pot. But it had a long journey of me trying to like figure out who the right person was going to be to actually help me lift this off the ground. Um, and eventually, this was before Stephanie, but I did land eventually from just like two dudes and shenanigans to this platonic male-female dynamic. And then it really kind of expanded from
0: And so last year, Alex released the pilot episode for Peas in a Pod. He created it, wrote it, and starred in it. But like many of us actors, Alex was out there working on other projects, too. He was featured in an episode of Punisher on Netflix, as well as various short films and commercials. And of course, he wasn't done with his comedy web series. After releasing that pilot episode in January of 2019... He did some fundraising, along with his co-star slash fellow producer, Stephanie Windland. They filmed the remainder of that first season last summer, but editing can take a little bit of time. (laughs) As a podcaster, I mean, it takes hours just for one of these episodes. So adding video elements to it it makes the process even longer to have the, the lighting and all the visual elements match the audio elements. So editing is a lengthy process, especially when Alex and the other creatives had those other jobs that they were working on. So 2020 began with the hope of releasing the first full season that would take off and pave the way for future seasons of new episodes. But then came the Ides of March, and the world as we knew it came to a grinding halt. However, there was a bit of a silver lining You see, with nothing else to do, they were finally able to focus on the series and put the finishing touches on those episodes. And in April of this year, the world finally got the first full season of Peas in a Pod.
1: So in every rom-com or even any show, the male and female leads always have this will-they-won't-they thing going on it's it's the Ross Rachel from Friends it's like the JD and Elliot from scrubs or you know even Seinfeld and Elaine and that works it's tried and true everybody loves it but uh, we are in an age where everybody is begging for stories uh, that are true and that are unique and that are um, interesting and I think that Uh, male and female dynamic with leads that isn't inherently romantic or filled with sexual tension is very real and there are tons of comedic opportunities that can come from that so why wouldn't i do that and to be honest with you i grew up in a very female heavy family my family's just like just Full of women, and so my experiences and my upbringing and my perspective is very much from that side of it. You know, it's like a single mother home. I was being babysat by my grandmother my aunts, who always mm-hmm. had me. So it's like my viewpoint is almost kind of through that lens. And so my respect for women and my uh, the way that I look at things, I just I kind of get along with women better than men. To be honest with you, I have more intellectual conversations with women <laughs> than with men. You know, I can only do so much of like, oh, cars and, and girls and like, <laughs> you know, Beer. sports. Yeah. Beer. Yeah. You want a IPA? I'm like, no, no, I don't. I respect my <laughs> taste buds. I don't want this, you know, 8.2 percent. IPA, man. I don't want it. And, uh, and I'm not interested in your truck. So how about, you know, politics or, you know, life? Can we talk about our feelings? And they're like, what are you, gay? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, boy. All right. So women are just a lot easier to talk to. They're the better sex. You know, Pat, let's just be honest. Let's be honest. <laughs> they're the
0: better <sighs> Of the human generally race. more reasonable and have a better head on their shoulders. I think a lot of times
1: better leaders, you know, Barack Obama said that best women are better leaders.
0: So, uh, so I took, you know, fr- I took a page
1: out of their book and, and, you know, and as a result, I have so many female friends who I'm not trying to sleep with, who I'm not interested in, in that way and never even thought about it. Um, And we have a a great time and a lot of laughs and all that stuff. And so I think it's a very real dynamic that so many people can, uh, you know, connect with and, and feel seen by. And so I just thought, let's start a show with that dynamic and then dive into all kinds of other things on top of that.
0: You mentioned growing up with a, a single mother, which was also my upbringing as well. So women were a big part. My grandmother, my mother, th- those were two very strong and present women in my life. And so, yeah, so that relationship, so that uh, looking up to and being inspired and motivated by women in my family and and the friends that were around me. It really was something that uh, that formed how I looked at the world. And so for me, the whole misogyny and that thing and looking just makes no sense to me.
1: Yeah, it's gross, <laughs> you know, like when you, especially in a city like New York, when you see this cat calling and, and all this ridiculous stuff, I mean, my mom never even had to tell me not to do that sort of a thing. I just never even had the urge to do that personally. But when I do see it on the street, it's just, just it's it's ridiculous. It's really ridiculous.
0: Having a strong, supportive mother will make any child feel like they can do anything. They can pursue any profession. And actually, Alex's initial path wasn't to be an actor. He first went to college to study medicine.
1: There aren't a lot of college grads in my family and uh, not a lot of, you know, uh, stories of, you know, success in that regard. I'm from New Bedford, Massachusetts, and it's a very small, blue-collar town, you know, and a lot of people stay right in there um, and do their thing, and, and no shame on that. But I, uh, I had some pressure to, uh, that I put on myself, really, to have a certain level of success, to make my family proud and all that stuff. Um, and to be honest with you, I was genuinely interested in, in, um, and intrigued by anatomy and physiology And that sort of a thing. So I took I took that. I took AP uh, bio and chemistry in high school and all that stuff. And also, you know, when you watch shows like Scrubs or House or something, you're like, I want to do that. Uh, I just didn't realize until I got there that I wanted to do that on TV (laughs) Uh, or in the movies. And and to be honest with you, I had already I had already been performing my entire life anyway. Right. So it's not like I have never stepped out into the stage or something. And then once I got into college, I decided to do this. I was in six shows in my high school drama club. I did, you know, and leads in half of those. Um, I was in, you know, all the choirs that you could be in in school. I was writing, I was dancing, I was doing all the things. And so um, I already loved to do this. It just, you know, I got there and within my first semester, I was like, Oh, this isn't gonna work not even not even a little bit I, I gotta go so uh, my mom was scared and I'll tell you what shout out to Debs shout out to Deborah Ramos back in Massachusetts my mom <laughs> who even though I told her hey mom I'm gonna leave college and not transfer to another college but I'm just gonna come back and figure out just like how acting works um, she hit me with like one like are you sure and I was like yeah 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 I think I definitely want to do this and she was like okay and it's been like undying support you know all the way through and she's now seen some some really good success since then uh yeah. to kind of you know validate that um, i'm just really hoping to get that you know get a role as like a doctor or something on some one of these procedurals <laughs> or something or like in a movie that like pays you know buku bucks or something so i can be like Sima still a doctor <laughs> i still yeah best of both worlds and more money than they make in real life so how do you like that
0: Oh yeah, yeah. When it comes to support, mothers support like no other. My mom came to every high school, college production I did, and she even flies out as when she can. She, you know, there's that rare instance where she can't fly out, but she'll fly out wherever I am in the country and doing this regional gig, and she'll come see a show. So it's um, yeah. There's nothing like a mother's support.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, mom. Love you.
0: <laughs> so you decided to make acting work however that was going to work and you stayed in Massachusetts for a while before coming to New York.
1: Yeah. You know, so I left after my first semester at Mass. So, you know, just to, you know, to give people some perspective, this was like a, a fast track program to be a PA and to basically be a doctor in six years instead of eight plus residency and all this other stuff. Oh, so, wow. you know, and Mass College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences is a very prestigious school. I have some friends that actually ended up graduating from there as PAs, as pharmacists and all that stuff. But I left and I go home and I l- literally Googled how to be an actor. And I just went through the rabbit hole of the internet to like figure out of whatever backstage articles and whatever else that I could find at the time. And mind you, I was scammed by businesses that were like, oh, you pay us this money up front and we'll manage you and submit you for stuff. I mean, you don't know any better. And sometimes you have to make those dumb mistakes in order to kind of learn your way. So, um, from there, I just kept, it didn't take me long to book some kind of a job. It was like within my first couple months, maybe I got a short film, uh, with a supporting role, uh, that was part of this school, like this college festival that ended up winning and going to LA. So that was like a really like reassuring thing. It was like, okay, something that I'm involved in was good enough to make it out to LA and get awards and all that stuff. Or whatever. I was like, all right, I'm 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 on the right path here. Um, From 2012 to 2015, I just was in the New England area, traveling all over the place, doing everything I could get my hands on, you know, student films, uh, industrials, commercials, features, web series. I mean, you name it. And I got in on it to learn the ropes and make enough money to move out here.
0: And either going to L.A. or New York, was that a, a choice that you had to decide on? I was going to actually go
1: to LA first. So uh, I was going to just pack up and save up money, pack up my car and do like a cross country road trip, like see the country, get all this like life experience and then go to LA and be like, boom, ready to work. Y'all make me, make me a star. And, uh, and then I was dating a woman at the time who, uh, you know, we were thinking it was going to go be, you know, super serious. And um, she was actually going to get, Uh, She actually got a job at NYU. And so there was that. And then also I got an, I happened to get an agent, um, a really big one, like top five in the country, big, um, who was, you know, their their office, the people I was going to work with were out of New York. So it seemed like the stars were aligning for me to go to New York, at least first. And so I was like, all right. I'll go to New York first It'll be closer to the family. I'll kind of use it as a stepping stone and then move out to LA. But I've been here ever since. And, you know, I see myself sticking around for at least a little while longer.
0: Yeah, and it certainly provided you with enough material because if there's one thing that... New York is good for that is people watching oh definitely
1: I mean I uh, will take out my phone and make I mean while everybody else is on Instagram and you know and and Facebook or whatever I'm taking notes of like any really interesting characters I see Uh, maybe you know just kind of creepy but like taking pictures of people who have like a really interesting look and I just save that in an album to be like I really love like this person's like piercings or their tats or like the outfit choice or whatever I want to bring that that in to, to play some sort of version of that. And I've cherry picked some of these qualities that I see in people, whether it's their walk, just like their gait, their posture, something like that, their voice. If I hear somebody with a very interesting voice, I'll try to take that and, and yeah. use that in some sort of a role. But for Peas in a Pod, I mean, yes, it's a New York based show, but it's more to be like, here's what it's like in a big city and not necessarily specifically in New York. But uh, most of the show is based in Brooklyn and Queens. So versus like Manhattan or, you know, any big, super popular areas.
0: And it's a comedy show, but at the same time, you've you've tackled things like stereotypes and depression and, and even germophobia. So you've kind of run the gamut of, of very serious topics that people deal with.
1: Well, a lot of those are, you know, every one of those scripts is based on some, you know, something in my own life that I've either blown way, you know, up or inspired by some movie or show or, or actor that is uh, that I love or whatever, or kind of all of the above. Um, so yes, it's, it's very much informed and look, the best comedy is based in truth, right? I don't, I can't remember if it was Stanislavski or Strasburg or one of those pillars, but you know, the idea of, you know, you make them laugh and then you stick while their mouth is open, you stick the truth in there. Um, And you, you hit them with the, the real stuff and that's what's really going to get people's attention. Right. I didn't want to just make people laugh and have them be like, Oh, that show's cute. I wanted them to be like, Oh, wow. Like they're saying something and it's super funny."
0: Yeah. Because you personally deal with germophobia. is that, does it ever like actually affect your interaction and how you go about the world? So have you ever seen the show monk? Yes.
1: Okay. So I started watching that show at a very young age. One of my aunts, Another woman in my family who was babysitting me was like, come watch this show with me. And I was like, sure. And I don't know why, but I just really loved it. Uh, and, you know, I may be, I'm possibly still in the single digits or maybe very young, like preteen when I'm seeing this. So very impressionable. And Tony Shalhoub, who stars uh, as Monk, uh, impeccable actor, one of my favorites. So, and he deals with germophobia. For those of you listening who are not familiar. And so that was uh, inspiring and in maybe like a negative way in terms of being hyper aware of like germs and that sort of thing. But I think I was always a kid who didn't want to get super dirty or uh, share uh, like cups or silverware or food with people in that way. I don't know why. Um, I have definitely relaxed a bit on a lot of those things um because with all this covid stuff for the beginning of it i was like i you know, i was the guy who was like i've been training for this my whole life you guys are now catching up to me like we should all be wearing masks and washing our hands constantly and all these things but um but i ended up getting it anyway I got oh, wow. COVID anyway, um, and I didn't know it for the longest time. My only symptoms were like a string of migraines for like a few days, mm-hmm. which I suffered from as a kid anyway. So I just thought, I'm super stressed. The world is like going to hell. Uh, it's got to be that, right? Because I had no other symptoms. And when I went to go get tested for the, for the nasal swab and the... Um, antibody test I I came I showed up for uh, antibodies Uh, so with that being said I had this epiphany that I was like okay I'm the cleanest person I know and I still got COVID so maybe this is just so much more work than it's worth an effort to be so on everybody and hyper aware of all these germs and these things so do I want anybody to sneeze on my face in the subway No. no but am I you know gonna just like reel it in a little bit with how much i try to put that on other people or how aggressive i am with with some of the other stuff i I definitely reeled it in a bit because it's just not worth the stress you know
0: yeah yeah no i get that it's it's interesting how these heightened situations kind of make us realize things I, i guess for you it made you realize that you know you could ease up a bit of you know COVID is certainly it certainly made me realize more on an emotional level just what is it that, that really drives me? What is it that's, that's really making me happy that I'm passionate about? And I think that that's something that when you have nothing else to do or to think about, then, you know, these are the thoughts that come to our head.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and in regards to the germophobia, it was, it was very much a thing, especially since, you know, I wrote this and we started shooting it well before COVID was a thing. It's very much like laugh at my pain. Not even just with germophobia, but with all the other topics, you know, the racism, the, you know, inside the community and from outside the community, Um, you know, the dynamics with, you know, family and and career and all these other things that we kind of expand on. Um, It's all very much like, okay, if I can take a seed of something that bothers me or is a a struggle for me or whatever and really blow it up and, and show that to people and show that I can make fun of myself and all that stuff, people will feel seen. they'll they'll feel empathy they'll feel sympathy uh several of the episodes it's been like oh my god finally you know i deal with that all the time or i love this episode because i'm also blah 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 so that's been some of the best compliments that we've gotten is that they you know people really connect with the the messages that we have in the episodes
0: Right, because there was an interview that you did, and you mentioned that you wanted to celebrate minorities instead of exploiting them. And in what ways did you want to celebrate them that you found to be different from other shows or films that you've seen?
1: I wanted to do a show that really allowed people to turn stereotypes on their heads, allowed them to play characters they wouldn't normally be able to play uh, or don't even get brought in for. As a result, for example, in our germaphobe episode, we have the uh, actress Jasmine Williams uh, playing Tiffany you know, very out there as a sort of character and uh, a black woman with, you know, four C hair, very dark skin and, you know, uh, and the body type and everything As Jasmine uh, has said repeatedly in her own interviews and, and in personal conversations, simply like I would never normally be able to play a character like that, um, who is very complicated and all over the place and that sort of thing. Um, so that is a big win to do that. Um, our, our, um, episode our mugger episode with Brian Michael Smith, who is killing it, mind you. Uh, he is an incredible transgender actor who is uh, on 911 Lone Star, um, the L word, um, and uh, you know, every New York procedural that's out here and stuff like that. He's Emmy nominated, he's crushing it anyway. Point is, him playing that mugger. Right. It's like, OK, let's take a, a a character that black people are always having to play, which is like the criminal or whatever. And let's turn it on its head where you're not just like, you know, you're run of the mill mugger. You're this like Robin Hood S character who is going to rob the white woman and not the black guy because you want to make sure that you're taking care of your brother. You're like, what's up, man? You know, nah, I don't want your stuff. You know, I know it's hard out here. Let me get your stuff, cracker, because. You know, it's hard enough out here for all of us. And it turns out that I'm the one who's got the money and my, you know, Stephanie's character, Polly, doesn't. And so, you know, we berate him for his sort of bizarre reverse racism type thing. Right. So it's like always about how do we tell the stories that haven't been told yet? And how do we make people laugh without exploiting somebody or punching down?
0: And that's something that I think that we are hopefully doing more of in theater as far as like thinking outside that box and putting people in roles that that aren't dependent upon a certain race or a gender, that that really dig into a character and a person and an individual. And that we, you know, that in our own dealings and our own relationships and how we interact, whether it's the barista or whoever we come in contact with, that we can interact in a way where we're getting to know that person and not judging off some stereotype.
1: Absolutely. And I mean uh, look at me for example, you know, I have no uh inspiration or 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 mentor or or whatever for my type. You know, whatever that means, you know, I'm just ethnically ambiguous, tall, uh, Cape Verdean American, and people don't even know what that is. And I'm constantly mistaken for other things. And so though there is a lot more inclusion and, and a lot more shows where it's focused on a particular culture, whether it's Indian or Middle Eastern or black or something, the closest person I have is like a Donald Glover type who is, you know, quote unquote, not your average black man which whatever that means, right? But it's like, you know, talk about hyphenate, who writes, acts, produces, sings, dances, uh, and everything else that you can think of. Um, And he's incredible. And I really look up to him. But even he has your very, I don't want to say stereotypical, but your classic black features, where, you know, he's not being confused for like another race, where I am and we are very much at least personality wise like not the same type either so i am hoping to be the example for other actors who are coming up and other kids who are going to be starting up to be like oh man alex pyres is that like ethnically ambiguous like you can't put your finger on like what background he is like you know where he comes from like is he like you know nerdy is he like you know guy next door i don't know like maybe he can just do everything or whatever and and that's the hope right i don't want to be uh the one trick pony kind of actor i want to be the chameleon where i do this type of thing for peas in a pod but then you see me in other projects and it's like you know where did he go completely different person
0: and this is kind of a a, a big question but as you were saying that it it just popped into my head it's what do you think is that balance between certainly acknowledging and and respecting someone's race, ethnicity, but then also letting that go and focusing on the individual, the person who they are, and and what they bring to the table, regardless of that?
1: Ooh, big question.
0: Um, I know, right.
1: For me? Yeah. I mean, you know, you ask a thousand people, you're a thousand different opinions. For me somebody's ethnic background is very much a big part of who they are. And that is because unfortunately we are still in a time where that is so important uh, for people to know. It, it's, it's, it's a question that I frequently get and probably my first conversation with anybody, especially white people, uh, where it's just kind of like, what are you, where are you from? And those kinds of questions are problematic in a way because even if you think that you're, inquiry is innocent or just because you want to know um, it's very much just if you really break it down very much about putting me in some sort of box or whoever you're asking uh, Some sort of box you can feel like okay. I've got you pegged. I know certain things about you now because I know What your ethnicity is or where your family is from, right? But I also don't think that we need to be in a place where that is irrelevant, right because What I am ethnically, which is Cape Verdean, and for those of you who are not familiar with that, or if you're not familiar with that, Mm -hmm. Patrick, Cape Verde, Cabo Verde, is a chain of islands off the northwest coast of Africa, west of Senegal, uh, if we're talking about mainland Africa, 10 islands. I have family from several, and uh, it was uh, colonized by the Portuguese, but we got our independence in 1975, Mm -hmm. so pretty young in terms of that. I, however, was born in Massachusetts, so I am Cape Verdean American, but I'm first generation on my dad's side. So the culture and all this stuff is very much there. I can tell you a lot about the culture, and that's its own thing. So I want that to be a part of the conversation and to be a part of my work. And that's why if you look in P.S. in a the Pod, there are references, whether they be subtle or overt, uh, to my Cape Verdeanism. Right. Um, but it's not the forefront of who I am. It's it's a piece of the bigger thing, and so another part of the show and who I am as an actor is to prove that like the show doesn't have to be like oh it's a show about some ethnically ambiguous black guy or some Cape Verdean guy and some Jewish girl or or oh it's this Cape Verdean guy doing this thing right it's not about that it's it's a show of people struggling to like figure it out in the world and they also happen to be cape verdian and jewish respectively or whatever the movie is or whatever the show is right because nobody calls friends a white show they just call it a show a sitcom a comedy right and so ideally we get to a place where the these creators that are of color are not having to deal with their shows being called black shows or brown shows or asian shows or whatever they're just the show's who happen and they happen to be these people from these different backgrounds that just make the the project that much more colorful.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting as as I was thinking through you know just growing up the shows that I was watching. It wasn't so much that they were black shows and white shows, even though that, that some people called it that. But I I watched the Jeffersons just as much as I watched Dallas and and Cosby Show when it was when it was all right to like Bill Cosby. You know, it, it, these, <laughs> these were these were the kind of shows that I grew up on, and it it wasn't so much about them being a particular color. It was about them being funny, or you know, the the message or the family dynamic, and. I found that no matter the skin color of, of, of who I was watching. And then I found in like the, the late nineties, maybe early two thousands, it, it kind of went to all the black shows over here, all the white shows went over here and I didn't start seeing them as much. Maybe it was my own for not looking for it, but it just seemed like they started to drift apart. And it seems like over the last, I don't know, five years, 10 years or so through Netflix and other places like that, that are giving a voice to these shows that can just be shows again. Do you see that as well, that they're being more of a mix? So it's not just, this is a black show and that's who needs to watch it.
1: Yeah. So uh, if you're not aware, Michelle Obama just dropped the first episode of her podcast. Her podcast. Yes. Shout out to Mish. Because I just think that Michelle, Michelle and Barack Obama are the pinnacle of just like grace and intelligence and just like a power couple. And I, I love it. And you know, I'm just like forever looking for my Michelle. Uh that being said. Her, her, her first episode had Barack on it because of course, how do you not start your podcast with your husband and of the course. former president of the United States? Um, and they, the, my point of bringing this up is one, listen
0: to that podcast, everybody. After you listen to this one, of course,
1: finish this for sure. Cause we are <laughs> equally interesting and I uh, have plenty of wonderful things to say. However, when you're finished, immediately go to Spotify and listen to Michelle Obama's podcast. Uh, they made a really good point that historically speaking everything comes in waves so uh you know especially progress right we get a win and there's a little, you know, it gets a little crappy and then you know we it comes back and then it's like shit again and like you know we're doing really well with Brock, and then we get this clown and his administration and you're like what is the world coming to and it's like that's just how it goes unfortunately uh, you can't just have straight up like you know a 90 degree angle six you know progress because its just not how it works. So in with how that relates to this, yeah I mean if you go back to the Cosby show and the Jeffersons and, and all these other things uh, other shows, um, we were you know breaking some barriers with those and you know they're, they're, mm-hmm. there are these waves of, um, of success and in, in trial and error when it comes to some of these things and most recently you know I just found out that all these black shows, "Quote unquote," for those of you because you can't see us, are coming to Netflix. So you <laughs> know you got Moesha and the Parkers and Girlfriends and all these other shows that are like you know predominantly like black cast, and it's like these shows are so good. And what they what these shows really do is prove that there are issues that are human issues, and so I think it humanizes these margins. Going back to like why I want to celebrate instead of exploit and and all that stuff. All these shows and what I'm trying to do with mine. Uh, And all my work is to humanize people of color and these marginalized groups to show that we have much more in common than we do, uh, than, than we don't. And to have people that thought that they had to hate other groups go, oh man, I'm, you know, they're also dealing with like trying to find like the love of their life and, you know, career success and personal happiness and getting over their own idiosyncrasies and all these things like me too. Wow. Uh. Maybe I can take my head out of my ass and just be a little more like friendly and respectful of other human beings. Right. And slowly we will kind of tear down ignorance and bigotry and all this other stuff.
0: It's, it's, it's a big wall to tear down, but, uh, you know, it's brick by brick. That's all we can do is just is just take it down yeah. one little step at a time. And were there those walls that came up for you?
1: uh, daily all, all the time. I mean, I've been called tons of slurs. Um, everything that's in the show is, uh, is, you know, some sort of battle that I, uh, have either been working on or recently accomplished or, you know, what have you. Um, and, you know, it's not always obvious, but, you know, there are days when, you know, I'm walking down the street and I can't tell if the look that I'm getting from someone is, uh, them being, you know, afraid of me. Um than being judgmental of like how I look or how I'm dressed or whatever the case is Um, uh, i'm constantly misidentified as some sort of other race or other sexuality or something like that and so there's been a lot of work personally to Ignore a lot of that stuff and not be as bothered and worried about it and um, because you know, if you live and breathe by everybody else's opinions and their judgment and all that stuff, then you're just going to go crazy. And I don't want to be that celebrity or that person that is um, so bogged down by people's um, judgment and like the ugliness that exists in the world that I that I can't do wonderful things that I planned on doing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's a yeah. daily battle against the, the evils of the world. But we got to keep fighting because it'll never change if we just accept. You know, the, the cards that we've been dealt.
0: Was there a particular moment or something that, <laughs> that kind of drove that home for you? How much time do you got, Pat? <laughs> How much time do you got? Yeah. Um, so I'll give you
1: two quick ones. Okay. Uh, I, my first job was a, uh, was a cashier bagger at Stop and Shop back in Massachusetts. It's like a big grocery store for those of you who don't know what that is. And this one woman thought it was, this woman customer behind me thought I was talking trash about a customer who just passed through my line. And she uh, she called me a sand N-word uh, and st- like, was screaming at me or whatever as she was leaving like the store thinking that I was saying all this stuff. And myself and my bagger were trying to convince no we it's not what you thought you heard we don't even know where where you're coming from blah 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 and she just kept screaming that slur sand and word, sand and word until you know she eventually like left the store and that was like so embarrassing and just like you know uh, if I could turn red uh, I would have Mm -hmm. and and just like embarrassment and just like shock because i had never been like blatantly called out by like a stranger in a public setting in that way and i'm like 15 16 you know and so that was like whoa so there was that and then there's uh and honestly quickly there's been times where like i'm constantly like you know mis uh misidentified as as gay or bi or something like that um and people always try to explain it as, oh, well, you're so articulate and you're so, you know, manicured and well-dressed and your, your, your fingernails are clipped and just weird things like that. And it's like, well, did you catch me having sex with a man or <laughs> because otherwise, why would you make that assumption? Right. And there's just like that's just culture. Right. And then another thing that very much uh, shows itself in the show is that I'm constantly misidentified as Indian. Uh, even by Indian people. So if you've seen the bodega episode that we have, uh, I had to sort of have it where everyone in this store thinks that I work there and that I'm Indian, and we sort of have that discovery right then and there.
0: Sir. Look, sir. There's no price tag on the milk. Can you tell me how much a gallon of the 2% is?
1: I don't work here, lady.
0: Come on, I've seen you here before.
1: I was probably buying something.
0: Oh, you're Vcash's kid. He told me you were a trickster.
1: Vcash? You think I'm Indian?
0: Come on, Junior. Is the milk on sale or what?
1: I don't want to give anything away, but audience, please go watch that episode because you know it it has a very explosive sort of uh, climax to that episode. But these are all things that I, I'm dealing with constantly. And sometimes it's like a micro thing where somebody's like, you know, are you Indian? And I'm like, no, and I have to go through the whole thing. Um, but it does, my my fighting against it is that I get to then explain to people, no, I'm not Indian, but I am Cape Verdean, and they don't know what that is. And I get to educate people on something that they never heard about and and mm-hmm. share the beautiful culture that is Cape Verdean culture. So there is a silver lining in that regard.
0: I I never assume based upon skin color where someone's from because anyone can really be from anywhere. Once I hear an accent, that's certainly when I'm trying to like piece it. Oh, is that German? Is it, you know, Japanese? Is it, you yeah. know, I, I think we do even unconsciously. We want to kind of put people, oh, if I know you're Japanese, okay, I used to live in Japan, so I, I, I can relate to that. Or, oh, I've been to Italy. You have an Italian accent. So we, we try to like put people in these things like that we understand. So that way... You know, for me, it's so I can relate to them better, but I'm sure in other people, it's so that they can have a certain idea of what that person is or isn't.
1: Right. And even in your case, I mean, I know you don't mean it maliciously, but even right there, in terms of relating to someone, uh just because you you lived in Japan or you've been to Italy or whatever doesn't mean that that has anything to do with how that person was brought up or how they live or whatever. They might not be connected to that culture at all. Yeah. So, you know, they might be totally Americanized or even if they that is like their culture, maybe they don't want someone being like, oh, well, let me tell you about what I know about Japan because I can, or, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's very to each their own yeah. and in terms of the accent. That's another thing that throws people off about me because I have a very non-regional accent, so they're like, "What are you?" You know, and I used to have a very, very <laughs> Massachusetts accent, and I just did my own. So I never did a class or any sort of workshop or whatever. I just uh, realized that I, I was going to be made fun of big time if I didn't, you know. Whatever. And I also, as an actor, wanted to make myself as versatile as possible. So I worked very hard to make what you're hearing now very comfortable so i'm not putting this on anymore but and as a matter of fact to do my original accent i almost have to put that back on now um, or hang out with my family or friends from back there for like a couple days and it starts to kind of come out naturally again and then uh, i can you know sort of slip into it without thinking about it
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm from Alabama, so whenever I go back to Alabama, if I've been there a few days or, or or I'm around my family, then it can start to come out a little bit. But yeah, it's one of those things where I don't have to un unforce that accent. I, but but it is one of those that I, I remember one time I needed to play a character from Alabama, so I was like, well, great, all right. So I just I just kind of put on that accent again of one that I had or closer to probably what my mother has. And, and he was like, that, that doesn't sound right. I was like, well, this, this is what it is. But I, I think what they wanted <laughs> is someone who would literally just like come out of the outhouse and was wiping their butt as they were spitting tobacco. I mean, they, I think they wanted something that was so over the top that right. is no one from Alabama that I know, you know, yeah. that kind of a thing.
1: caricature of a human being, you know? Yes. Like.
0: Yeah. As we you know encounter people as we have these these interactions, I think we 're trying to find that balance of respecting who the person is, respecting wherever they come from, but also at the same time taking them. One by one, as individuals, and, and 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 I think that there's there's just the pendulum's kind of swinging both ways. For those of us with with good intentions and and uh, approaching this with respect, of course, I'm not talking about the the stupid idiots, but those who who are well-meaning and want this to be something that is that is uh, that is fruitful and that can progress.
1: Absolutely, we are definitely making progress, and I don't mean to sound cynical at all. Uh, I can name show after show, movie after movie, where uh, I, you know, the, it, it's beautiful what they're doing, and, and I'm so glad that you know these these projects are finally being made, and these conversations are being had, much like this one, about how it all makes sense. And hopefully, anybody that's listening to this, and even you, Pat, will think even more about you know uh, relations and respect. And you know, we're we're in a movement. You know, there are still protests happening uh, daily, and you know, even though I'm Cape Breton American, between that being part of the african continent and 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 everything else i consider myself black uh my skin my skin tone supports it so there's that so those struggles are uh are struggles that I, I deal with as well so while we're you know physically protesting and you know putting our money towards these you know specific uh groups and and all that stuff to get justice and stuff let's all continue Uh, to allow conversations to happen so that way we can find middle ground and everybody can get on the same page of true justice and true equality. Because again, if we don't keep fighting for it, it's never going to happen.
0: It may be cliche to say that there is more that joins us than divides us. But until more people believe it, then it continually needs to be said. And in his own way, through his own experiences... Alex is telling stories of acceptance and commonality with a splash of humor thrown in. He is saying what needs to be said, and I look forward to the work and creative projects he will use to continue saying it. Thank you to Alex, and a big thanks to you for joining us today. If you know someone who would benefit from this conversation, please share this episode with them. It's listeners like you that bring me back week after week with guests like Alex, who share openly and passionately from the heart. Now, as you know from listening to the podcast for the past couple of months, I was conducting a survey where you could give your own feedback on this podcast and the best ways to connect and reach a wider audience. Well, as it turns out, 56 people went to the online survey... However, only five completed it. Sometimes the name of this podcast is quite apropos. Nonetheless, I am grateful for your thoughts. And while it's hard to gauge consensus from just five respondents, I'll certainly be doing my best to continually improve and grow this podcast. In fact, with regard to the upcoming Final Five episode, three of the five suggested that it be a part of this main episode rather than its own bonus episode. So stay tuned for those Final Five questions with Alex, and we'll see where the Final Five eventually finds its home. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, reminding you that the reasons for not making it may seem countless and frustrating, but the reasons to keep going are even more numerous and rewarding. Let's get together next time as we talk more about why I'll never make it.
1: 18 plus.